Welcome to Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Costello, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system and an author on the G.I. Joe role-playing game, Transformers role-playing game, and My Little Pony role-playing game, core rule books, as well as other books for the Essence 20 system that are on their way. One of them's very Indeed. close. It, it very, very close indeed. Uh, and I'm Jason Keeley. I am a Renegade Game Studios RPG developer. So I work on all those books. While we both work for Renegade in one capacity or another, this is not a Renegade Game Studios podcast. This is not any more official than any other two fans sharing their opinions, their thoughts on mm-hmm. the Essence 20 system, game design, and all of these fun IPs that we all know and love. Indeed, indeed. Speaking of, I uh, to this very day, actually, uh, I got myself my, finally, the hard copy of oh, nice. the Transformers game. And uh, it uh, obviously, it looks beautiful and great. And I got to set a dice and a dice bag because, you know, membership has its privileges. I'm, I'm glad to have a, 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 a hard copy of this that I can open up and look at so I don't have to look at the PDF basically I, I i when i'm doing stuff i sometimes like to just see the page it's sometimes easier to flip through it and find the thing i'm looking for than to pdf search it so i just want to say that you said like i got and then you were leaning back but what i saw was like your stomach and i was like a tattoo like that's what i was <laughs> expecting it looks like you were lifting up your shirt and okay. that like maybe on the ribs you got the autobot logo then you were going to show me the other side decepticons I got yeah. <laughs> that uh that's still coming. We'll see. Oh great, yeah. When you're jamming, you can do the like da 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 switch sides. Yeah, exactly. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when to expect the core rulebook for Transformers because you know, Renegade outsources its warehousing and the way that that warehouse handles international orders and i'm in canada is that they will lump it so they'll ship it by pallet instead of individually shipping it and then it'll disperse from there so i am waiting for enough canadian orders to be ready to ship out so that the pallet gets to canada and then it all spreads out like in this case working for renegade doesn't give me any privileges no that's a shame uh you know i had all that the the troubles with uh, i think international shipping to get to the get the books you know, from wherever the printer was. So all these out there who ordered the, the, the hardcover, the physical copy, the wait is almost over. Yeah, like there is a lot of shipping and printing in a time when neither of those things are easy. And yet we have managed to get three core rule books now printed and starting yeah. to get into everybody's hands. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Now, Jason, before we move on to today's topics, which is talking about rules as written versus rules as intended... We need to point out that this is not the first time you and I have talked about rules as written versus rules and intended. In fact, this is not the first time that we recorded episode four of the Upshift, <laughs> rules as written versus rules as intended. Last, actually, I guess like three weeks ago now, yeah. the episode that was intended to come out two weeks ago, we recorded it. And I actually had forgot about this, but I was having some weird like reaction from my audio recorder on my side. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, all right, well, it looks like it's working now. And I let it go. And instead of initiating the backup, which is just recording on Zoom, which, you know, all I had to do was press a button. I just powered through on a recording, even though there was something sketchy about it. And then the next day when I went to edit, my audio file was just nope. It was just like two seconds of silence and then nothing. And then your audio file was a completely separate file, not just like a a stereo track. Uh, And so we had your entire side of the conversation. Which unfortunately was not enough to put together at least as an episode. <laughs> Just me talking. <laughs> yeah. 
no, no one, no one really wants that. I think uh, so. Yeah, it's good that we're re-recording this because you had some salient, some great points. So I, I, I think people want to hear them. Yeah, I, I think it was a good episode. Don't don't remind me of what we've lost, Jason. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but anyway, the reason that we were bringing that up is that if anything does not sound as spontaneous, uh, spontaneous, mm. spontaneous then it's probably because you and I have had this conversation before and it just doesn't have that unique feel of a natural conversation. Luckily, it's outside of the realm of my uh, uh, long-term memory. So three weeks ago, might as well have been three years ago. I don't I don't necessarily remember what exactly what we talked about. All right, I'm also going to give a shout out right now to listener Jim Barnes, who had a question. He wanted my opinion on the G.I. Joe classified action figures, which I did last time, which probably took up about 10, 15 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> and uh, the intent is for these episodes to be half an hour long. And once upon a time, Jason, when 3.5 Private Sanctuary, my original podcast launched, it was a 35 minute podcast and every episode was 35 minutes. And I do not know what happened, but I lost that superpower. I I cannot predict the length of a, an episode no longer based on an outline. That's fair. Yeah. Fair. So, so I will uh, answer Jim Barnes question in a future episode when I've got the, uh, when I've got that in me. Oh, actually, I guess I was going to say when I get a new classified figure, I got Tiger Horse out back, but he's not within reach. So we will save this for another time. There you go. There you go. Maybe. Just keep, 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 keep the faith, Jim. So we're going to talk about writing rules and mm-hmm. how rules show up in a rule book. And then, you know, in theory, it's a game. And yeah. then once it gets to the table, people start noticing little inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. And just in general, that when you've got an entire game in your head and you are mapping it out into a book and then you send it to the people, as they say, no, no plan survives uh, contact with the enemy no yeah. rule book survives contact with the customers that is true because it's just there as as many pe- groups that are out there there are almost that many play styles and uh, uh the approaches to gaming really and really even if there are multiple people involved in the process and there are and we're about to go but into them hopefully there are <laughs> it pales in comparison to the number of people that will be reading the book that is true yeah even if you're selling to say a thousand people is not considered a particularly successful product. But when you think about that, that is a thousand times more or some magnitude of a thousand times more than the number of people that went into the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. And then a thousand sales might not, it might even be more than a thousand people playing it too. Right. Because you've got that's a good point. just buys it for their group. And that's five people or four people that are interacting with the rules in ways that possibly that uh, a designer or developer or an editor might not have intended or uh, thought about. All right. So let's talk about the people that are involved in the writing of the rules. Where do a role-playing games rules come from? And it all starts with the project manager and the publisher. Well, when a project manager and a publisher love each other very much. No, wait. <laughs> oh, they that's... don't always love each other. No, <laughs> that, that, that's perfectly true indeed. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like someone does need to be the person who uh, comes up with the original idea, right? Somewhere yeah. online, someone says, we need to make a game that does X, Y, Z. And not necessarily just a game, also just a product. Like, you have a lot yeah. of experience as a project manager on Starfinder when you were working for Paizo. I mean, I mean... Uh, worked with project manage, manager, oh, okay. managers, essentially. I, I knew the schedule and I helped with the schedule, moving things around it and, and uh, making sure people could do the work. But there are indeed project managers who look at every schedule, Starfinder, Pathfinder, all, you know, or if you got multiple lines or just a, a year's worth of stuff, 
uh, all at once to say, is it possible to get this amount done with the people that we have? You know, uh, right. that's that's what a good project manager should should be looking at in terms of uh, uh, not just churning out schedules for things uh, just should be looking at is it possible you know when this and when this hits and after that's done what happens to it when you know do we have enough time to ship it on time for what the publisher wants to do what have it shipped for a gen con say uh you've got to work backwards and, and and get all that sort of worked out but that's publishing in general i think more than it is specifically you know rule stuff right so that's the big picture of a project yeah the big picture and then we get to the micro of the picture, the writer, the person who, uh, usually a freelancer in the case of Renegade, who is putting the text to the page, they are taking the outline that they have been presented, or even that they helped outline in some cases, and they are writing the rules. And generally, it's a, a team of two or three people. Uh, that's how most of the Renegade books that I've worked on have, have operated. A couple of them I've worked on solo, but for the most part, it's a team effort. Oh, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll get... Um... Very few, yeah. It, it, let's talk about a smaller project, uh, you know, uh, uh, something that's less than 100 pages. Uh, most likely that's going to be written by multiple people. I think when people talk about rules as intended, they are thinking mm -hmm. about what the writer intended. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's fair. And it okay. leads to this next step, uh, which previously I had as two steps, but I've combined them into one. The developers and editors and do you want to just weigh in on how you would define these two roles yeah so uh developer will uh and oftentimes the the developers they're a little earlier uh, and sometimes uh, i guess the editors they're a little earlier than the writers to when you're concepting a book to come up with sort of uh the outline like we had mentioned that that's a developer and and maybe some weight in by the editors but also sort of the um so that so the authors have the guidelines to, to to fill it out and they might have the actual concept in mind then it comes back from the authors, the uh, developer will be the first person to look at the text and ensure that it is, you know, up to the styles of the, if there's a product line that sort of fits that, if it is uh, written, overwritten or underwritten to make sure that it is the right amount of stuff there. And they just kind of generally check all the rules stuff. So um, the, the developer will be looking at a, a, a book often, maybe as a whole or a developer or two, Whereas uh, if you've got a larger book that's written by multiple people, six, seven, eight, 10, 12 people, they're not necessarily gonna be talking to each other in a writing process. So the developer has to come in and, and make sure all those rules interact the right way, uh, make sure that like some person's not writing a rule that is exactly the same as some other person's rule or contradictory, right? Um, and then after that's done, the editors take a pass at it to kind of uh, do a lot of the same things uh, uh, from a more, you know, grammar point of view make sure things are easy to understand uh and um uh, oftentimes you know you know you're 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 good editors who know the uh system if this is a game that is not new uh uh can kind of um ferret out some some rules and consistencies that a developer might have missed or an author might have missed i i feel like i'm getting the name of this job wrong but cultural consultant Yes, cultural consultants. That is the, I, I don't know, for some reason yeah. it felt like I was close to, but not quite right with the term. Just because it's alliterative doesn't mean that it's wrong. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I would fall, I would uh, place a cultural consultant in with the developers and editors, like that's this mm -hmm. stage. Yeah. yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we'll do a whole episode on cultural consulting at some point. It's a, an interesting topic. Yeah. 
I'd love to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, they often they're, you know the uh, most most times the most places I've worked at that's a the cultural consultant is a is a freelance editor of of a, of, a, of a kind uh, who is done with the editing process that's sort of looked at there. Yeah. And then the final step and the final person that uh, contributes to what ends up in the book is layout. So. Uh, this is a new example that I didn't have previously, but when oh, yeah. uh, Trivia, who is no longer with Renegade, when they were laying out the GM screen for G.I. Joe, yeah. they were having some trouble with the copy fitting and they reached out and said like, hey, if we summarize the healing rules like this, does this make sense? And they'd taken out just a couple of words that it's like, no, that changes the rule. Like, uh, yeah. That's not just uh, simplifying how it's presented. You're actually you know it, it, you're presenting a completely different way to run yeah. a similar situation but ultimately sometimes just like what it needs to fit on the page sometimes forces words to be edited out and changed and sometimes that does change the meaning of a uh of a rule or just uh you have to cut an example or something that just clarifies something so yeah. Uh, of all the people in the process, the people that handle the layout are also people that have to make some decisions or work with everyone else in the process right. to make the decisions to uh, figure out what words actually get to print and therefore get to the people playing the game. Yeah, often a developer or an editor will also sort of look at something in the layout process or when when the layout person has a question, like, like you said, like trivia had for you, uh, it's good that they asked because uh, someone who isn't as uh, familiar with the text sort of changing something willy-nilly doesn't often lead to good things. Um, uh, you know, it's same, same true with that, you know, uh, editors might need to, you know, consult with the developers as they're going. It's not, now, you know, in a, in a, in a healthy process, um, all of this sort of stages that we've talked about are not handing a football off or handing a relay baton off and then you're never done seeing it again. It's a lot of people working together it's a lot of back and forth uh uh with uh test hey what if we said this does this make sense you know how can we change this so that it's for instance it so it it, it doesn't say it sounds less problematic uh because the way you've worded it here it kind of sounds like something bad um and then just making sure that it that all that though keeps the spirit of the rules the rules as intended correct or at least the way that the uh you know the the, the person who's Looking at the whole thing, you know, usually at the point the developer or designer wants those rules to be intended. Uh, I've got the definition here of rules as written and rules as intended. Maybe it should have come earlier in the process, but whatever. <laughs> I just want to sure. throw it out there. Rules as written seems pretty clear. It's what you see is what you get. Sure. And ideally, the text contains the entire meaning of the rule. But the idea that uh, the simpler the rule, the easier it is to convey is not necessarily true. There's actually like... A, a swinging scale of the simpler the rule usually it takes a lot of revision to take like 100 words of text and down it down to like the perfect 20 words for example versus like if i had uh, 500 words to explain a concept then i can go into every corner case and whatnot but that gets more confusing for people that just want to know how to run the game and yeah. so uh, rules as written is really like a balancing act of how much depth and complexity I'm putting in versus simplicity and not covering those corner cases that then can lead to the kind of conversations that lead to rules as intended. Right, indeed, yes. So rules as intended is when the readers need to infer the meaning of a rule, and they'll usually use context and outside factors beyond just the sentence as it's written on its own. Sometimes this is just... I get the idea, but uh, we've got a specific situation that I'm not sure how this applies. Mm -hmm. Other times it's, 
Well, it's written clearly here, and it's written clearly here, but combined, it's now causing confusion or contradiction. Yeah, that 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 can always be a, a problem, um, which is why you know you want to go back and forth. It's, I mean, you know, there's no way that a, a single person or even like two people could keep a <clears throat> 300 page rule book entirely in their heads. Um, I bet Mark Seifert could do it, but. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, uh, and it probably has done it. And, uh, but that being said, uh, uh, it is uh, difficult to, to make sure that you didn't tweak something in chapter six that changes the way something could be interpreted from chapter two, right? You know, it, it, it can be tough. But you get down to, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a world where uh, uh, these sorts of things can happen, almost it's difficult to let go of a book. You, eventually you've got to though, give it to the, give it to the editors and give it to layout, give it to the printer to make a product that you can sell and make money on. But like you could spend, always spend twice as long reading and going over something, any product really, rules book, adventure, just sort of constantly refining it and making it better. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, needs must as the devil drives is a phrase that I like to say, but I don't entirely know what it means. Needs must as the devil drives? Yes, it's something, it's, it's basically like, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to do it, essentially, I think is what that means. Like, it's along the same lines of uh, perfect is the enemy of good? A little bit of that, yeah. The, okay. Yes, more, more or less it's sort of like, when you're under the gun, you just got to do the thing. Whereas perfect is the, enemy is, uh, is the enemy of good is more a better example that, of what this is, because you can always spend more and more time perfecting it. Uh, but, you know, uh, but also, why not just let it be good enough? It could be good enough because some of the, it's, it's, if you, there's like a diminishing returns when you're doing that kind of a thing, right? You can work on it uh, for uh, two weeks, right? And, and get it good. You can work on another two weeks and get it uh, better. You can work on another two weeks after that and get it slightly better than, you know, every two weeks is, is, is only going to increase that, that, the, the goodness you'll never reach perfect because uh we as human beings are not perfect so i have a few different examples of mm -hmm. some of the rules as written versus rules as uh intended conflicts that have come up in conversations with people that are playing the uh power rangers gi joe and transformers role-playing games i've said in the past we usually don't bring up too many power rangers examples because it's the only one of the hardcover rule books that i didn't work on like i worked on the system but none of those words are mine so uh, the one that inspired it was a discussion about rollout. Rollout is a rule in the Transformers role-playing game that every role shares. And as written in the book, and I just made the mistake of pressing home instead of, uh, uh, let me just. All right, let me open my physical copy of the book. And, Please do. Uh, find one. Here's, you know, because it starts with, you've got that for the all spark role perk that every role has. And a, a part of that is the rollout. Uh, it's rollout. When you roll for initiative, if you are not surprised, you can choose to convert to your alt mode before combat begins without needing to spend an action. This appears seven times in the core rulebook, once for every role. Actually, it might even turn it up eight times because I think at the beginning of the roles chapter, it even yeah. summarizes this all the way at the beginning. Written fairly clearly. Like, uh, mm -hmm. it Makes seems sense. like, all right, roll initiative, clear roll. It says when it happens, if you're not surprised. So that's a modifier that's thrown in there. You can choose to convert to your alt mode before combat begins without needing to spend an action. The effect of the rules seems pretty clear. And in a discord conversation, someone said, it's too bad. It's just your alt mode and not your bot mode. And that had me wondering, is that what it says? Because I'm the one who wrote this rule. And my intention for this rule 
was that you don't have to keep track of the nitty gritty of what mode you're in when you're out of combat. That's more of the kind of thing that you have to worry about when you're in combat, when it becomes more of a tactical factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And then it went back into the rule and it's like, no, it clearly says when you convert to your alt mode. Now, this is something that's perfectly clear as written, but actually is not how I intended it. So this is not something that it could have been the publisher or the uh, project manager, unless when they were reviewing it, they made a call that something had to change. It could have been me. I could have just written wrong. That did not reflect what I actually meant. Uh, It could have been the developer or an editor who just felt that uh, it, if I had just said, you can choose to convert before combat begins, they might've felt like, oh, we should just add the detail to make it a little clearer, convert to your alt mode without realizing, or, you know, uh, in the same way that I could have made a mistake, it could have been the developer making the mistake without realizing that it was intended to be both alt alt mode and bot mode. And it's probably not the layout person just because this affects so many pages that it wouldn't be one call that the layout uh, artist would have done. Uh, And this is not my way of trying to pass the buck. This is me just saying, I may have made a mistake, or maybe it wasn't my fault. One way or another, the intent of the rule is not what showed up on the page. And no one would question this because, as written, it's so clear. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, that's just the sort of uh, an unfortunate uh, bugaboo is that when you are thinking of something and you write it down and thinking so, I have many times been writing and writing and writing, and then I go back and I'm like, I know I wrote, you know, I didn't leave out a bunch of prepositions in this sentence. <laughs> when I was writing it, but when I was, you know, cause I was thinking it and I thought the words, but I never typed them on to, onto the page. Right. And that, that happens often uh, to the point where, you know, that's why, <laughs> that's why we have editors and stuff uh, to go for them. Well, the sentence actually does make sense. In this case, the sentence obviously makes sense. It's just maybe, you know, something just got lost. Yeah. And like different ways that I could have done it. I could have just said you could choose to convert before combat. I could have said you could have choose to convert and been explicit about like to your alt mode or your bot mode. But one yeah. way or another, it never would have explained my intent that this is to save the GM from having to go around the table being like, what mode were you in? What mode were you in? And having yeah. to just slow down the game with like just a logistical step that ultimately does not matter. And and like, that's just not on the page. That's like like a meta level of intent beyond what the rule is supposed to be. It's supposed to be like what the experience at the table, this rule allows, right? Yeah, indeed. Um, and uh, you know, one of those things that if you had, I'm just sort of thinking, um, oftentimes, you know, I like authors to uh, add in little comments, you know, in the Word document, if there's something that is like, I did it, I did it this way because X, Y, Z. Uh, you can't do that with every sentence because that would take, too long to go through. Uh, so uh, whether or not there was any way that someone, if it, you had written it one way and then someone had changed it, whether or not they could have been like, well, I wonder what the intent was. It can be hard to sort of have those, those you can't because you can't have that conversation with every sentence because that would take forever. It's just uh, the unfortunate, it's unfortunate the uh, factors of life. <laughs> All right, next example of raw versus rye is when the uh, writing is unclear. And so the example is that in G.I. Joe, and I believe also in Power Rangers, there's a general perk called Terrifying Presence, which says when you use Intimidation as an attack against a target's willpower, you may either inflict one additional damage, and then it goes on to, you know, have additional benefits to this perk. But the big red flag here is the word additional damage, because that implies that you're already making an attack against a target's willpower defense that does damage, and that this does additional damage, but there are no rules for just doing an attack against the target's willpower defense. So the things that this could be saying is either one, 
you need to have an ability that does that first, and then it would do additional, additional. if you had that ability, but there's no other abilities referenced. It could be saying that we meant to include rules for attacking with intimidation against targets willpower defense uh, and they got cut or they we just forgot to include them somewhere and this is in addition to these rules that aren't somewhere else or it could be that this word additional is uh, er erroneous and if you take that out and it's just saying this general perk allows you to inflict one damage by attacking a target's willpower defense with intimidation now, yeah. by the time this same general perk made it to Transformers, it has been clarified. It now says, uh, when you use intimidation against the target's willpower, you can either deal one damage and then right. etc. And so that uh, eventually did clarify it, but up until the Transformers role-playing game came out and has a proper version of Terrifying Defense, Terrifying Defense was confusingly written, and uh, it's the fact that rules as written it doesn't make sense because it would need these auxiliary rules that it worked with that just were not there. To be fair, zero, one is one more than zero. So instead of doing zero damage, you do one additional damage, one. Yeah, but that's like if I'm- <laughs> No, that's too, that, yeah. I didn't mean that seriously. If I'm offering my kids breakfast and they say, can I have another peanut butter sandwich? Like, did you have a peanut butter sandwich yet? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I know. I, I don't. Uh, I don't mean for that to be taken seriously. Uh, it is. Okay. It is indeed confusing, and I agree with you that I mean the Transformers way is the the way that I would do that if that was uh, if it wasn't already present anywhere. If it, uh, the other version didn't already exist, I would say, oh, that just added word additional is probably just wrong. Yeah, and that is an advantage and a disadvantage we have with the way that the SN20 system uh, rules are being released in that there is no one core SN20 rulebook. It's each one is setting specific. And so if you happen to be somebody that is collecting multiple SN20 books, you can always, if you remember what order they came out in, you can always look at the latest of the ones that were published and see if there's a, if it's a crossover option and see if it, the text has been updated. Yeah. All right. Contradictory writing. So uh, we talked about this briefly earlier in the conversation, but that sometimes rules will be clear in two different places and when combined, don't make any sense together. So right. we've got in Transformers, Cybertronians are described as being vulnerable to electromagnetic damage everywhere except for one place. So it's mentioned multiple times. And yet one place, it says the opposite, that they are immune to electromagnetic damage. So you could just say like, well, the one that happens the majority of the time is the one that uh, should ha hold precedence, except that the one time where it says they are not immune to electromagnetic damage, or sorry, where they are not vulnerable to electromagnetic damage, it goes into great detail explaining why they are not immune to electromagnetic damage. Yeah. And so it's hard to decide like which of these rules, clearly contradictory, which one has more weight. And um, I'm not even sure if, if we've finalized which direction we're going to go with that for the errata because yeah, wow. it, it definitely needs to be errated and we just have to weigh the value of the two different interpretations of the rules and how much it affects the players to say like some amount of the text that you know what that you paid for <laughs> is not valid like that is ultimately what yeah. we have to do whenever we have to make errata it's not it's not a great feeling on our side but at the same time we also want to make sure that they have the best game possible and sometimes that means having both a book and a digital copy of rules clarifications. Indeed, yeah. It, it is, uh, like you said, unfortunate, but um, sort of clinging to things that are obviously wrong, like an anchor, will, will drag you down. Uh, and, and in a lot of ways, I feel like make you look 
make it look bad. <laughs> you know, that's like, you know, any other, you know, like a video game, whatever, sort of saying, oh, no, that that bug, that's, we, we can't get rid of it because it was in the original code. Um, what, why? Why wouldn't you fix <laughs> something if it's wrong? Why? When the devil is driving an imperfect car, it's the enemy yes. of a good car. That's uh, something. <laughs> Uh, that kind of hurt me a little bit hearing that. Uh, that... Uh, there is a word for when you say a saying wrong, and I don't remember what the word is, but it's a uh, oh. uh, malapropism, maybe. Malapropism is using the wrong word. Uh, okay. Uh, and, but I feel like yeah, there is. A, there might be another word for saying like a bird in the hand is worth two, two bushes or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> You can bring a horse to water, and you can make him drink. But if you teach a horse to want to drink water, <laughs> I like that one. Uh, he'll drink for a lifetime. I'll drink um, for a lifetime. So, also something that I was mentioning that usually you can go uh, to the latest version of the rules and know that that is probably been like developed further and has been corrected from an earlier version. But every now and then, there's a contradiction to this. So, for example. Fall damage in Power Rangers is more complex than fall damage in G.I. Joe and Transformers. Hmm. G.I. Joe and Transformers, it's just the distance that you fall is the amount of damage you take. Whereas in Power Rangers, it's relative to your size. Now, size changing is more relevant in Power Rangers than it is to G.I. Joe, but it's relevant in Transformers. You will have multiple different sized class yeah. of uh, player characters. And when you bring in threats, it, it can get extraordinarily large. And... I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what happens here because I feel like the Power Rangers rules are the better rules and yet G.I. Joe Transformers got this like simplified version of the rules that just uh, it does nobody any favors by making it simpler in that way. Yeah, it's probably the, the uh, it was simplified for G.I. Joe because most G.I. Joe characters are one size and uh, the same size generally. No one's going to be big or huge or whatever. And then that got probably carried over into Transformers most likely. And then, of course, because all of the Essence 20 games so far are based on existing settings, existing brands, there are setting assumptions that might be then influencing how you're interpreting a rule. And I just had a conversation with a Discord user named Gamer, which may sound confusing because we're all gamers, but the Discord <laughs> user's name is Gamer. They were the first gamer. <laughs> he was making pawns to run Emerald Oubliette, and he was asking what size the shark was supposed to be. Now, in this whole conversation, I was very like agile around the word supposed to be mm. because the shark is long. That is what was printed in the book. And there's nothing wrong with it being long, except that the shark is kind of like a T-shaped craft. Like it's, mm. it's the flying yeah. submarine. And so it's like the cockpit is the middle part and then it wings out. And yeah. so when you make it long, which is a two squares, one by two, um, it just doesn't fit the one by two very nicely. So his tokens were either a tiny shark in the middle of two spaces or like a stretched out shark that just does not fit with what it's supposed to look like. So rules wise, there's nothing wrong with saying the shark is long, but as far as like how he pictures the shark, it just wasn't fitting and specifically making a tangible token for the game. Uh, adding to that is that in Emerald Oubliette, the scene with the sharks you're going against uh, the Mantis submarine and the Mantis submarine is listed as extended, which is much bigger than long, even yeah. though these two ships should be about the same size. It should be like a dogfight, but instead right. it feels like, uh, like fighters against, uh, a, a 
I don't know, a bigger ship. Um, like like X-Wings elevator. against the Star Destroyer. Not Star yeah, Destroyer. Yeah. Um, the other ones. Uh, yeah, Star Destroyer. Star Destroyer, the triangle ones, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, maybe yeah. not to that scale, but it's definitely, <laughs> yeah. it should not feel that off. And a, mm. a couple of things happen there, and it's based on the setting. One of them is that the shark was for the original three and three quarter inch toys. The Mantis mm. is for when G.I. Joe got bigger and was four inches. So oh. even though in the the the, the world of G.I. Joe, those should be about the same size. The actual toys, one is longer than the other. And I think I just rounded down, and then Brian, who designed the Mantis, rounded up. Mm. And it just created this discrepancy that, again, by the rules, nothing wrong with it. It's fine, But yeah. just by how you picture a Mantis and a sub in a scene in G.I. Joe media, it doesn't quite work. Mm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, that's something, and, and 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 some of those things are, are going to be, you know, stuff that not everyone is going to notice. You know, if you're not a huge GI Joe fan, and but you're playing the, the game, uh, you might not think twice about the discrepancy of the sizes in these two vehicles. So, yeah, and so, uh, but that conversation where he just kept leaning on the word, "What was it supposed to be?" That's kind of. The whole, this rules as written versus rules as uh, intended conversation in a nutshell. It's like, well, mm -hmm. supposed to be is a much more loaded way of describing the conflict than you might realize. Yeah, definitely. I think those are a lot of the reasons why rules end up maybe seeming weird or weird and you don't even know that they're weird because they look like they're just fine. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, and you know, like when we're presented these rules, it's like the contradictions could be hundreds of pages apart, but when you're looking for a rule and you're set to those two pages, it's like they're right next to each other. Yeah. And like, how did we miss them? It's because we didn't use the rule book in the way that the gamers go. Yeah, that's 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 tough because you have to really try to think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you know, something might you might not have the time to do it. Yeah. And it's not like playtesting helps because we would need the book to be laid out to find yeah. a lot of these mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. True. All right, so what can a game group do about it? Well, first of all, we've already referenced quite a few times that uh, these things have come up in the Renegade Discord, and that is one of the best assets that uh, somebody that is looking to solve these problems or get answers to their questions can use. You can use the Renegade Discord, or there's several social media pages. I just find the Discord one seems to be the one that is the most active for uh, myself and Brian, so two of the freelancers that worked on these books. You know, like we're talking about how oh, it would be great if the rulebook was perfect, but that's impossible. And at least now we live in an age where you can have an imperfect rulebook and you can have like access to people to get it closer and closer to perfection for your own gaming group. You can have online erratas and FAQs, and you can have active conversations with the people that are willing to participate in these conversations. That willing to participate is a key part of that sentence. <laughs> right. Because, like, about 10 people worked on the Essence 20 system, but I listed two people that you are likely to have these conversations with, myself and Brian. Ben shows up sometimes, uh, but it's just, like, if if it's not part of your daily routine or if it's just not something you have the, the, the fortitude for, because yeah. it can be emotionally draining to have mistakes pointed out on something that you are proud of, uh, and not even mistakes, just confusion that you thought was clear, mm -hmm. like... yeah. Uh, and asking or answering the same question, like where are the machine guns in Transformers <laughs> and knowing it's your fault. Uh, it just, it could wear on some people. And I happen to be, you know, I, I have the emotional fortitude of a tank, we'll say. 
Uh, But even I can feel the wear from uh, this kind of situation. But anyway, all that to say that discuss with the designers if they are willing to have this discussion with you. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) Don't harangue people, uh, maybe uh, their own personal Twitter, you know, profile or anything like that. Um, Just in general, (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) Not just to game designers, but to just uh, anyone you maybe you want to talk to on Twitter that you might not 100% agree with. Try not to just constantly I, I use the word harangue because i can't think of a better word but yeah that's that's, that's yeah it's word. not quite harass but it's close enough to harass to harass to get what you're saying yeah uh, and of course the final thing you can do is make the call now i have been in some game groups where we find this kind of contradiction in the rule book and we might as well call the session because it's just like oh but it says this on this page and then the other person's like but it says that on that page and it's like Yes. One of those is right, probably. And we just have to make a call and move on. And it doesn't even have to be the call you make for the rest of your life playing this game. No, but you just can change it. In the moment, you need yeah. an answer. Sometimes, you, yeah, you need that answer in the moment. And uh, I've done that many times. Where, oh, let's just do this. And then, like, days later, I'm still thinking about it, too. I'm like, <laughs> looking, I'm like, what did I do? Did I make that right call? And then going back, I'm like, okay, great. Then we're going to change the way this works um sometimes it's too late after that you've used the one rule and you'll never see that rule again uh but uh, you know it's just a game uh, when all is said and done and if you know hopefully you're having a good time uh mm-hmm. that this that that specific imperfect rule doesn't ruin the entire game for you then um then yeah you can just enjoy the rest of the game that is uh, good and enjoyable yeah and it, you know what the rules even say who gets final say. Like once the conversation has gone circular, if diplomacy and uh, democracy are breaking down, one person at the table is the game master. And if they want the game to, or if they want, yeah, the game to move on, they can just make a ruling. Just make that call. It's done. Any final thoughts on rules as written versus rules as intended, Jason? Mm, No. Good. We're good. We're done here. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a sticky conversation for people on sure. our side of the design, but it's also important to acknowledge that it's like, yeah, it happens. Hopefully we explained why it happens. Hopefully we explained what to do when it does happen. Indeed. And if any of this did not come across as intended, uh, please let us know. All right. Before we let you go, I'm just giving you a couple of shout outs. So uh, one of them is to Chris McFeely's Transformers YouTube channel, specifically his series of videos called Transformers The Basics on and in uh, this series, he will cover a topic. So it can be a specific character. It can be an era of the toy line. It can be just uh, a, a full media. He, he goes large and small with his topics. He covers them in depth in a way that is just pleasant to listen to, accompanied by some, you know, uh, animations and artwork from the Transformers world. And often when I am working on a Transformers project, and I know a certain topic will be a part of the the project that I'm working on. One of the first things I will do, just even get in the right headspace to work on the project, is to go to yeah. YouTube, yeah. check out what Chris McFeely has done on the topic, and uh, just listen to his video and then go from there. Terrific. Yeah. Since you did the shadow the first time we recorded this, I have gone and uh, make sure that 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 page that the that YouTuber is on my radar. Yeah, it's 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 like he's not snarky and he he tells things how it is and yet um it's really engaging it's not dry i don't know what it is but he's got a very uh pleasant style like very teacherly 
Very nice. Uh, and finally, I'm going to shout out to Toys and Tomfoolery on Instagram. So Toys and Tomfoolery is a, a action figure reviewer and photographer. He does his, uh, they're called the Dusty Nightstand Reviews, where he just clears off some toys, puts them on his nightstand, takes 10 pictures, writes a few paragraphs talking about why he has this toy in his collection, what it means to him. And he will often have themes when he doesn't have a whole lot of new things coming in. And recently he did Sigma-6 as a theme. And Sigma-6 mm -hmm. is an interpretation of G.I. Joe that I am very well connected to. After the Real American Hero, so the three and three quarter inch line from the 80s into the 90s, uh, Sigma-6 is my favorite interpretation of G.I. Joe. It's stylistic and interesting and it often... It's kind of like the Beast Wars equivalent of G.I. Joe in that it's okay. like it's so different that it has its audience and then kind of like the rest of the audience is like, oh, that was too different and they dismiss it. So anytime I come across an influencer that also enjoys it and shares their thoughts, uh, it's really satisfying to, to read into. And he's got some great, interesting insight into Sigma 6. He told me about some of the hidden play features that I didn't realize some of these toys have uh, because, again, Sigma 6. Amazing toy line. They have more play features than they even could advertise on the packaging. Nice, nice. This might not uh, say count as a shout out, but it may, that made me think of uh, a trailer that I watched, and this is kind of end banter, I guess, um, that I watched that there's gonna be a new Transformers cartoon where Megatron is on the side of the Autobots somehow. Um, I mean, at the beginning of the series, he certainly is. Uh, that's true. That's fair. Uh, but it just—it was more like now Megatron's a snarky anti-hero kind of like you know because he the, the 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 trailer kind of ends with the Optimus Prime saying Autobots roll out and then Megatron going I don't ever know if he means me when he says that. <laughs> um, so he's fighting on yeah. So I, I don't know what that's uh, I forget what the heck, the heck that uh, thing is called, but uh, uh, I know it's on Nickelodeon. So let me yeah, it's a Nickelodeon uh, jam. So uh, that might be interesting. To check out uh although you know something to talk about maybe uh, in a um a, a, on a future upshift where we talk a little bit about playing um uh uh, uh, uh established bad guys in your regular campaign Ooh, as good yeah. guys oh i like that and like that's also something you'll see in the media well there will be characters that are yeah changing sides but technically the toy line still considers them on their original lanes that, that's sure, an interesting sure. topic i like that Okay. All right. Adding it to the list. Uh, technically, okay. uh, sorry. Uh, officially, it's Transformers Earth Spark. Earth Spark. I knew it had Spark in it. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is it's sort of like after the Evergreen era of what we think of uh, as like the basic Transformers story, like the next generation of Cybertronians that have grown up on Earth and don't really know the old ways. Hmm. So our characters are their mentors, but the main characters are a whole new cast of characters. Cool. It's Transformers for a new generation. Oh. Did you steal that tagline from the website? Uh, no, but it's that? not original tagline. Okay, fair enough. It's, it's I could have said it's not your daddy's Transformers. No, oh, there you go. It's not your granddad's Transformers either. Nope. Yeah, Transformers have been around long enough that it could be your yeah. granddaddy's Transformers. Boy, oh boy. Well, thank you for joining us for episode four of Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 uh uh, Essence 20 podcast. Sorry, <laughs> it's not news, reviews, and interviews. It's just our Essence 20 podcast. If you'd like to find more great gaming podcasts, you can go to nodirectionpodcast.com. Largely, we focus on Paizo related content, so Pathfinder and Starfinder, but we've also got uh, board game content. We've got general role playing game content. And of course, we cover Essence 20. Also, like to thank our patrons. If you'd like to support the network, you can go to patreon.com slash nodirection, and it helps the network keep our equipment up to date to make sure that we are covering 
all of the fees that are related to having 10 plus years of almost <laughs> daily podcast content. Yikes. And also thank you to Word Burglar for letting us use Letters from Snake Eyes version 4 or volume 4. You can find out more about Word Burglar and his 80s inspired pop culture rap at wordburglar.com. Until next time, I'm Ryan Costello. And I'm Jason Keeley. Spin up shift. Bye-bye. Our theme song is Letter from Snake Eyes number 4 by Word Burglar. To find it and other amazing tracks, go to wordburglar.com. This has been a No Direction Network production. To find more great gaming podcasts, visit nodirectionpodcast.com.